Retirement. That's what we're all aiming at, right? But exactly what does that mean? It conjures up visions of endless days of golf, drinks with little umbrellas in them on a tropical beach, feet up, reading a book. Is that what it's all about? I don't think so. Life would get pretty dull after a while without anything meaningful to do, don't you think? I'm Jackie Doucette, and I'm on a mission to discover exactly what life is like beyond retirement. Join me while I chat with people who've already done it, who've retired to something rather than from something. Let's find out together exactly what's waiting for us when we say goodbye to that nine to five. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Retirement. Today, I'm really excited to ha- have Rick Pasonic with me. Rick is the principal owner and the lead practitioner at Synergy Prosthetics Research Center. He was also a paratrooper in the Army and a former college athlete. In addition to his training in prosthetics, he's a human potential coach, a psychological fitness specialist, and the founder of In Your Second Life. He's a frequent lecturer at a university and a conference speaker on topics that include microprocessor prosthetics, spiritual life, health, fitness, leadership, and personal mastery. That's a mouthful. Thanks for joining me today, Rick. Hey, thanks for having me. Wasn't sure I was going to get through all that. I don't know how many times I can say prosthetics properly. <laughs> you know, whenever people ask me what I do, I say prosthetics, and they don't know. They think, did he just say proctologist? I, so... They think I either said I was a prostitute or I'm a proctologist, and either one I uh, is a little bit off track. So we uh, we got to know each other a little while ago, and you told me a little bit about your prosthetics business, and um, especially the the microprocessor prosthetics. And I think I'd really like to hear a little bit more about that if you'd like to talk a little bit about it before we uh, get sure. into more deeper things. Yeah, well, you know I, I love what I do. Um, it, it is really a calling, and I, I want to retire. However, I'm going to do prosthetics to the very end, and um, it has to do, you know, I think what it is is that uh, I feel as though when people ask me what I do, I help people to walk, and I help them to hold on to things. It may not sound like a big deal, but um, when I'm there and I see somebody wheeled in in a wheelchair and they wonder if they're ever going to walk again, run again or whatever, and that I can enter into their life in that part of that journey and to see them, uh, help them get up and walk. And uh, even some go back to work and do things like that. Some run. I have some uh, college athletes. Uh, And to see somebody hold their child again who have a prosthetic hand, uh, it's still, I mean, it still brings me to tears when I'm in that event. And I just love it. And you're going to bring me to tears if you keep talking about things like that. <laughs> what got you into it? What what made you decide to start doing prosthetics? Well, you know, um, so a little bit of my history is that uh, my mom was young. She was 17 years old when she had me and um, married four times. And just you know, my mom would congratulate me if I got a D. She never encouraged me to study because she was always working. And so I really was a terrible, terrible student. And was just a lost guy. Played sports, but uh, uh, I remember going to college to play sports, but I was lost on the campus. I was immature, and um, I ended up in the military. 
And while in the military, I was in an accident that, that put me in the hospital for several months. And when I was there, there was a guy who uh, had, had lost his leg above the knee. And I remember, you know, it, you know, you imagine a bunch of young men and women in a, a therapy clinic, horsing around with each other and joking. But I didn't know how to talk to this guy. I, I was thinking, what am I going to say? How are you doing, dude? And he's going to say, lost my leg, duh. How do you think I'm doing? I just, and I felt uncomfortable. I didn't like the fact that I was afraid to talk to him. And then one day they came in and fit him with a prosthesis and he stood up and started walking. And I said, that is, that, that's what I'm going to do. I am going to do that because I just, and, and it was a little bit over my head because I really was a terrible student. But um, I think that I, you know, being in the military and then I worked for the government a little bit and then I went to college. And so I was an older student. I remember playing football. I was older than my coach. So, <laughs> so you've got a couple of uh, different things that you're doing that, that you're part of the Synergy Prosthetics Research Center. And you're also um, a psychological fitness specialist. Can you talk a little bit about what you do as a psychological fitness specialist? Well, you know, when you enter into different phases of life, you start wondering about that phase. And I think I was telling you earlier is that I wonder about the, re, the retirement phase. And I wonder about, because I'm not done yet. You know, my motto is I don't want all of my adventures in the past. I, I want to have some new adventures ahead of me. Um, I, a lot of times I tell people, I still got stuff to do. Um, and this picture of retirement is appalling to me. I, I, the, what's the media portrays. And my poor mom, um, she died poorly. She died at 78, but she, her health span ended in her late 50s. And it was just a, it was hard. You know, I, I love my mom so much. However, to see her like that was not taxing to me physically. I would be with her all that I could, but mentally and emotionally, it was draining. I mean, it was just, and I can remember there was evening. Sometimes she'd call me at night and I mean, two o'clock in the morning telling me that she was having bad dreams and that she couldn't move and please come see her. And, and I, I thought, I, I don't want to do that to my children. I don't want to do that to them. And what can I do so that, and I love the relationship that I have with them now. And so how can I prolong this? And so I was going to take every course. And so I saw this thing, psychological fitness specialist, and it was how to have this mindset. And, and it's part of the, what I've discovered in this, in, in your second life is that what you believe and the words that you say to yourself are very powerful. And if you say you're old, you, you will become old. But yet, if you say, I can still do this, uh, there's, there's some empowerment there. And so I wanted to learn everything. I'm, I'm, my, <laughs> I'm my, what do you call it, best patient. Uh, I, I, I experiment all this on myself. And, um, and uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to know what can I do to empower myself to be the best example for my family. I think the things that you're talking about are kind of, well, actually exactly in line with the themes of the podcast for this year, 
uh, in terms of confidence and freedom and all of the stuff that you're doing, helping people get in the right mindset, but also helping people physically get their life back. I think that's completely in line with um, where I'm going and the idea of being a a human potential coach. That to me is all about making you the best person you, you can be. I'm assuming that that's what that is all about. Yeah. 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 You know, one of the things I do in my, my work, kind of my side hustle is I do life care plans. So if someone were to be in an accident and lose their limb, lawyers contact me and they say, well, we need to figure out how much money this guy needs for his future medical care. And the very first thing I do is I go to a resource, a government resource to see um, on average, how many more years is this individual going to live? And so as I do that, uh, and, and if, you, if I'm mindlessly doing it, I go, oh, this person's, because I'll, I'll say in the plan, I'll say their life care plan will end in 12 years. What I'm really saying is that we predict that this person on average will live 12 more years. And so when I would do that, occasionally I would see somebody who was my age. And so it would say that this person is, his life care plan is going to end in 20 years. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. 20 years ago, I can remember where I was 20 years ago. That seemed just like yesterday. And so if it makes me take notice and take stock and say, if I have 20 years, I want them to be good years. And what can I do and what can I learn to maximize my potential? And also my when we're in that mindset and we see people who are not in that mindset that are caught off guard, our heart goes... I want to help those people just the same way I want to help an amputee. An amputee thinks that, oh, my gosh, my life is over. There's a lot of people who enter into their 50s. Some people enter into their 30s, you know, and think, oh, geez, my life is over. And anyway, that's uh, I want to help people who get into midlife and don't realize it. You know, when you ask people, where's midlife? And they'll say, well, 50 or 40. No, no. You know how many people live to 100? Less than 1%. And so the average age is somewhere around 78. You know what that means? What's half of 78? That means you reach midlife around 37, 38, 39. And so a lot of people enter into to their second half of their life and don't even realize. What kind of responses do you get Um if you, when you talk to people and you say something like that, that when they say, you know, mid, midlife is, you know, fifties ish and that you say, no, no, maybe 37. Yeah. Well, it catches them off guard. They say, really, it does what I want it to do. I want them to have a moment of clarity. I want them to, there's something called terminal lucidity. I don't know if you've heard of this at, at the, the end of life. A lot of times, and it's a, it's a phenomenon they think would be more common if it wasn't for the fact that we drug a lot of people at the end of life to kill pain. But terminal lucidity is that pe- uh, people who have Alzheimer's or, or a lot of cognitive diseases, your, the body knows we are getting ready. The body's getting ready to go down. And so it will pump a lot of blood, oxygen, uh, adrenaline. Um, hormones into the body to where the body, the person will all of a sudden come to and recognize people that 
they hadn't recognized maybe years. Uh, we'll remember things, we'll realize their situation, and we'll start talking in a matter-of-fact way where the family members are like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? And I don't want my most lucid moments to be right before I die. And so when I had these conversations, what I hope to do is shock people in to say, I'm at my midlife. Is this where I thought I was going to be? Did I spend my time on trivial things or on the things that I always hoped to do? Because that's what happened to me. I thought, you know what? I, I have really used, wasted a lot of time on trivial, thing, trivial things. I love this, the, 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 the uh, metaphor of, of story that um, I think about my first life. I think I was a second rate character in other people's stories. I furthered their agenda. And that I didn't even show up in my story. My wife and I were watching a movie the other night. And we, when we watch something, we watch it for 10 minutes. And then we look at each other and say, okay, are we going to finish this? And we watched this story. And we saw the bad guy. We saw the victim. But the hero hadn't showed up in the story yet. And we're like, yeah, we're done with this. And, but but the, the point of it is, is that I realized that I had not showed up in my story and it's time, and that, you know what, now it's time. And that's why this, this whole thing resonates with me. Every day I get up, I'm, I have a mantra, I have a ritual because it's important to me and I wanna, I wanna promote this to other people. I really like that. Time to show up in your own story. Yeah. I had the same thing, well, similar thing on my, um, I can't remember what it was, Skype, I think, just as a little tagline, it's like, are you the driver or the passenger in your life? That's awesome. Uh, I like that. I might use that if that's okay. <laughs> that's awesome. But you know, there's nice having those little lines that they cause a per shock a person into, well, I don't know. You know, you just saying that I'm like, I'm hoping I, I want to be, you know what? I want to be the driver. I, sometimes, you know, relationships you end up, you have to, but at least I want, it to, I want it to be on my radar that I want to be the protagonist. I want to be the driver as much as I can. I think that's a really good idea. So yeah. tell, me, tell me about the uh, In Your Second Life. What's, uh, what's that all about? Well, you know what? There's this, so I came across this poem, and I love it. And it's by this Austrian guy. And so you kind of have, you have a little bit of the interpretation of it. And it's called... Um, I love the dark hours and the dark, dark hours is a metaphor for early morning, but also those mornings where there's drama. In other words, the, when you have drama and it forces you into clarity where you're thinking, what am I going to do? And, and so the, the author says, I love the dark hours. When I, when I open up the pages of my life and I look at it, and it appears to me as a legend. And what I can see is that story. And I can see, I, I didn't always do things right. But some of the things I did were good. And that's just the normal journey. And he says, he goes, he goes after looking at it, I realize that I have margin for a second life that is wider and better. And I thought, that's, I like that. Because the idea of second life or retirement life it's it's a worse version of your first life and I, I don't I, I reject that I reject that and the idea that my second life the second half of my life um, could be a better version 
that I could actually be a better person at that. I want to hang out with those people. <laughs> I agree completely. I think the, the next half, the next piece of your life, whatever length of time it might be, is going to be the best part. And yeah. we can yeah. we can do whatever we want. We can make it the best part. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we're less likely to be living according to someone else's agenda. And then we have the experience. You know, what we recognize is that when we get a cut, <laughs> we get a cut, it's going to heal. It's, it's not, it's not life shattering when somebody hurts us or if we cry, it's, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't have to throw us off course. And so we have that type of experience. And, um, and by now, when, you know, in your first half of your life, it's, you don't have a lot of clarity. Uh, I think as um, Carl Jung says that in your first half of your life, you work on your false self, on your external. And you do that until usually at midlife, you're sick of that. You're sick of your avatar. And you're like, when do I get a chance to be my authentic self? And so I think, you know, we don't care. <laughs> As you get older, you're like, I stopped caring what people think. I mean, I, I, I care less. You always are going to think about that. But I find that I care less and I agree less. I, I, I'm, it's rare for me to say, if I don't believe what you're saying, or if you have some political viewpoint, I'm like, I don't care what your political viewpoint is. You know, I don't care what your religious viewpoint is. I'm not interested. And, and I, I'm, I'm okay saying that. Whereas if I was younger, I would say, oh, yeah, I would like, oh, I, you know, I would agree with them because I was working on my false self. So do you, do you actually say, I don't care, I don't want to hear about it? Or do you just say you can have your own opinion and it just doesn't make any difference? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a good point. It's, there are some people who, I mean, especially in this climate of no vaxxers, vax, should we have a, in the U.S., should we have a wall or no wall, Trump or no Trump? During this time, there are people who get in your face. And so, no, my thing would be, generally, if you're, if you're expressing your opinion, I'm curious, I, I would like to know, why would you vote a certain way? Why would you believe certain things? Now that's interesting. But if you're, if you're, if you're telling, I had somebody here recently, I went to a Buddhist retreat. Okay. Cause I want to learn mindfulness. These guys are experts in mindfulness. And so I went there and so I had some Christian friends and I, and I, I consider myself a Christian who told me, Oh no, the devil is going to jump on you and all that. If you're at a Buddhist temple, I'm like, dude, seriously, you, you, do you hear what you're saying? You hear what you're saying? That's ridiculous. So sometimes I'm going to be a little more tolerant of your opposition and I'll be like, okay, well, tell me what you think. I, I'm, I'm interested in why you believe that. However, if you, you're coming across like some crazy person, uh, I, I'm either going to do one of two things. I'm going to just walk away from you or uh, I'm going to tell you that's crazy talk. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not listening to it. You need to take that someplace else. That's not my default position. I think I'm a nicer guy than that, but I've had to do that. One of the things that I learned as a, a psychological fitness is that a big part of second life is not the things that you add, but the things you subtract. All of a sudden, and, and it's, it's somewhat sad. There are some friends, for me to have the mindset that I want to do, there are some friends I had to jettison. They didn't make me my best self. They were always victims. And I don't have, I mean, let's face it, when we look at, we only have 20 years or 15 years left to live. 
I want to spend time with the people that either either I can help. In other words, maybe they are victims. And if I can help them be a hero uh, or a family member, I want to convince. But I don't have time for a lot of negative people. And that, you know, it's so I, I think I sound harsher than what I really am. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say it with a nice smile, though. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not that harsh. I understand what you're saying. I mean, and and it's something that we're taught all along is that you're, you know, you're the average of the people you spend, the five people you spend the most time with. That's but right. As you get a little bit older and wiser, you have to choose those people because they're gonna pull you down if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be the dumbest guy in my group. Exactly. That's what I've always <laughs> said as well. <laughs> yeah. So when, uh, when you're thinking about your second life and the things that you're doing, does anyone ever accuse you of maybe having a midlife crisis or going through something that, oh, maybe you're going to come out the other side and be okay again? Yeah, yeah. No, I get that a lot. I was telling somebody what my plan. So at this Buddhist retreat, um, and I always say Buddhist, it's at a Buddhist monastery. It wasn't like they were teaching me how to be Buddhist. You know, my Chinese restaurant place, they're Buddhist. And nobody says, oh, no, the devil's going to get you there. <laughs> or I like martial arts. I study Kung Fu and stuff like that. These guys are Buddhists. I, I don't go there because they're Buddhists. I go there because they know something that I want to learn. And the Buddhist retreat, they, they are specialists in mindfulness. How can I... Like right now, I want to be right here, right now. I don't want to miss this. I don't want to miss parts of my story. And I want it, people to remind me of that. So that's why I go there. I also go to plan this next year. I went there to spend some quiet time and say, here's some of the things I want to accomplish. And I was telling this guy that, and he's going, oh, that's just your bucket list. And I, I, I sort of bristled at that. I go, no, it's not a bucket it's, it's what my next thing I want. In other words, if I say I want to go... Um, parachuting, and I'm 30, nobody goes, oh, that's a bucket list. But if I say it in my, I, I just turned 68, so I say now, oh, that's your bucket list. I don't like that idea. No, it's something that I'm going to do. And so people will say, well, you're over the top, and not everybody wants to parachute. And I've taken ballet classes. I've done a marathon. But that's stuff that I like. It doesn't have anything. That's stuff that I did when I was 30. I don't I don't see myself mentally so much different than when I was 30 and 40. I want to do stuff. I want to have adventures. If your idea in retirement is to sit on your porch and watch your grandkids play, I'm fine with that if that's what you want to do. If you resigned yourself to that, thinking that's all that I could do, well, that's now when I want to enter into a conversation with you and say, okay, Let's talk about that. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. My grandmother, who was born in Trenton, Ontario, in her life, her project, I talk about signature projects. Her signature project is she wanted to plant a tree in all of her family, grandchildren, children's yard. That is so awesome. She don't have to go parachuting, you know. She doesn't have to start a second career. That was what she wanted to do. And, and I love that. And so... I just, I think a lot of people go, well, old people can't do that. Well, no, no, if you say that, you can't. You know, what, what's the saying? Those who think they can't, those who think they can't are both right. Yep. And you might as well be in the group that thinks you can. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 
so that kind of led me into um, my next question, which is if people want to talk to you about um, getting, uh, getting in on your coaching or the psychological fitness testing, if that's something that you do, how would they reach you to do that? You know, the best way now I'm trying to do, um, because I've, this is something I've been doing locally for about 20 years. And, um, and just now, because I'm at the end of my, my um, prosthetic career, where I'm going to probably go part-time, and I want to go full-time in this uh, research of In Your Second Life. And so if, if people are interested, they can contact me. The best way is through email. I think I'm starting some Facebook pages and those other things, but the, they're coming slower. The best way is to contact me um, email, which is in your second life. And that's two and the, you know, for second in your second life at gmail.com. And, uh, I even offer people, you know, free coaching for a period of time because one, I, I love doing this. Uh, and, um, I love, just like I love seeing somebody come in, not walking, walking. I love seeing somebody that doesn't have clarity in their story and to help them re I want to help edit people's stories so that they can have a good story and with a good ending, which is kind of my goal. And so anybody that's interested that I can keep them up to date with what's going on. I hope to have some newsletters and things like that going in the near future. That's fabulous. I'll put, uh, I'll put your uh, email in the show notes so that everybody can see it for sure. Okay. I like the idea of being a, um, a personal story editor or a life editor, I guess that's what yeah. you'd be called. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, that's awesome. Really the things that make for a good life are the same things that make for a good story. There, you know, there needs to be challenges. Um, it's a boring, it's a boring story. If the lead character is not facing any challenges, um, it's a boring story. If the lead character is not transforming. And so I think that's the same thing with us is that we don't stop transforming because we hit midlife. And, um, and also I'm doing a lot of experimenting, like with even physical, I'm at a weight that I was in when I was in high school, I went up to 270. Uh, there was a point in my career where I was a secondary character in my life and I weighed 270 and I can remember I was always been an active person. I was going up some stairs and I was having trouble going up. And I almost believed the lie that, hey, when you get a certain age, you can't go upstairs that well. And uh, I remember that my, my youngest son wanted me to run, you know, kick the ball or something with him. And I went and I tore my hamstring. And I thought, I guess older people can't kick the soccer ball with their children. I, I almost, I mean, it never felt right to believe that, Jack. It never felt right to believe that. And so uh, what happened is that there was a fitness contest. They had, if you were a certain, um, um, your, what do you call it? I forget what it's called, your level, um, oh, your BMI. If your body mass index was a certain number, you could enter this competition. And I thought, I need something like that. And so it was a fitness um body weight, things like that contest. And I won it and I ended up becoming the, the motivation speaker to get people in it. Uh, and I'd lost a bunch of weight. And I remember thinking, 
this weight thing, it, you can do it. If you manage it, if you pay attention, if you're incremental, if I like the 1% rule, 1% change. I helped the girl. She was like wanting to lose weight. She did all these diets and things. I said, here's our goal. Let's lose one pound a month. Well, that's not very much, but here's the thing is at the end of the year, you've lost 12 pounds. 12 pounds is enough to feel different and to look different. And at first she was like, I don't know. I said, you know, it's up to you, but I can help you very easily. And so all we did is looked at what she drank and a little exercise. She lost one pound. She lost 12 pounds at the end of the year. And here's the thing is, is that a lot of times we overestimate what we can do in a year, but we underestimate what we could do in three and five years. And so if she loses 12 pounds every year and she lives another, you know, she's a, she was a young girl. Uh, she lives, you know, lives another 30 years. Well, that's a substantial change to, in her life incrementally. It is definitely. So I'm, uh, I'm afraid we're going to have to uh, cut things off here very shortly. I'd like to keep talking with you because I, I find the things that you're talking about really fascinating. And I like the idea of being the leading character in your life. And I think that, yeah. that, that that's something that everybody needs to be reminded of. That's um, right. Is there, a, you mentioned to me um, in your little, e or in your email in, in the uh, beginning, that there you had a, an offer or a way that people could be part of your Second Life team? Yeah, and that's um, the best thing to do again, email me and just tell me where you're at. What I'm hoping to do would be to have some sort of forum where, I mean, already uh, just from talking with you, I start to see what I'm thinking is not some rare thing with me. You know, some people can say, well, it's because you're an extrovert, you're an introvert, or you're a guy or whatever. And so a big question that I've always had are women resonating with some of this. And, um, you know, because of my mom played a big role in my life, I have a daughter. Um, I think of women, I heard this definition of a hero. The hero is someone who is strong enough for two. So in other words, they can rescue themselves and someone else. I think women intuitively are that, more so than men. Because a woman, especially, uh, you know, one, ones who've had children, they, they take care of themselves. And, that, and my wife takes care of herself and me. A lot of times I'm caught up in all my fanciful thinking that I wouldn't forget to rescue somebody, you know, whereas I think with a woman is they want to rescue people. And so I want to, this is a long winded way to say is I want to be, I want to have more conversations with you. I'd like to know if what I'm saying is just some crazy macho talk and that, um, I mean, I love the fact that you've already said that the being a hero in a story resonates that makes me feel like this is some sort of universal message. And so if you want to be part of a forum and just contact me and maybe we can do something where we periodically, you know, just get together and you tell me what you're doing to make your story better. And I'll tell you what I'm doing and we can critique each other. That sounds really awesome. And if people are interested in getting, um, getting involved in that, if they, uh, don't want to reach out to you. They can reach out to me and I'll put them in touch with you. Uh, awesome. Lots of ways to get together. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me, Rick. I've really enjoyed it. And as I said, we could continue going on and on. And uh, I need to cut it off at some point because um, I get gave myself a time limit. What can I say? Yeah. I try. Uh, I try to do that. Yeah. No, that's a good. That's good. Very good. So thanks so much for being with me. And uh, maybe we'll have you on again because we can continue this and and keep talking about our stories. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk more. I love it. I enjoyed it. You're a, you're a great interviewer. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, I think you have a lot to say. I'd love to interview you sometime. (laughs) I don't know which end of the, which side of the microphone I want to be on. Maybe not, maybe neither (laughs) side, but we'll see how it goes. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Rick. And that's it for this episode of Beyond Retirement. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoyed it. Are you ready to start rocking your retirement? Head on over to www.beyondretirement.ca forward slash rocking it and sign up to plan out your own roadmap for retirement. Don't wait till it's too late.